everybody. Welcome back to As It Goes. You know, we're all just figuring it out as it goes. And conversations help us along the way. It is a beautiful, warm, odd, winter, sunny day here. And I am so thankful for it. Winter has been hitting me hard. I wonder if anyone else who it's currently winter for right now, if it's hitting you hard. I know we've talked about seasonal affective disorder on As It Goes before in aligning with the seasons. For me, winter's toll just, I think, reached maximum capacity last week. And I kind of woke up from my winter slumber and was like, all right, things have got to change a little bit because I am sad. Capital S period A period D period seasonal affective disorder. It's been like this my whole life. I'm sure, again, for a lot of people that live in winter climates and experience winter, it's hard. It takes a toll on us. When we're especially present and aware, we, we're aware of this. And having those tools and ways to cope with it is really important. And um, I just wanted to mention that in case anyone else is feeling heavy these days. It's, there are so many factors to it, right? There's less fresh produce because of winter, and there's less time outside, and less sunshine, and more time inside, and it adds up, especially with COVID. So, in summation, you know, a few things that I'm currently doing for myself to help myself. I'm making sure that I take vitamin D every day. I'm making sure to get at least 20 minutes of fresh air outside essential essential and you know it's so easy to kind of like come up with excuses speaking from my own experience of like okay it's you know 20 degrees today that's too cold okay but bundling up you know I just bundle 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 and waddle on outside and get those appointments of fresh air look up at the clouds realize that the world is going on around me and I can be a part of that even though it's winter is really powerful getting outside when I take my dog outside at night looking up at the stars because it's especially clear in winter and just feeling that awe and wonder and connection in the winter I'm not a big smoothie drinker but I am making sure that I get my greens every day, either by having a smoothie or a juice or a salad, anything I can get my hands on to just make sure that, you know, I'm doing that. So, you know, making those green smoothies with kale and spinach, all the leafy greens, loading up on all of the possible superfoods I can throw in there, and listening to sunny music. You know, music that I'd kind of listen to in the spring, in summer, early fall, 
that kind of music that has that warm, grounded, sunny, vibrant energy really helps my mood. Yeah, so I mean, there you go. It's kind of like a mix of diving into the experience and embracing the winter and embracing the resiliency that winter builds and fostering that those same feelings of connectedness even during winter while also honoring the coziness and the hibernation and the going within and all of that while also kind of I wouldn't call it escapism but also that counterbalance right of keeping that warmth and the sunny vibrant energy alive even during this you know season of death so to speak when winter is just it it is trying even in our modern era it's emotionally taxing it's taxing on our well-being and it's important to validate that winter is hard period it also serves a purpose in showing us parts of ourselves that we're ready to let go of, heal, and alchemize in order to bloom in the spring as an evolved version of ourselves. You know, winter is work. And when we pay attention to the cues from our feelings, which are always guiding us, and our bodies and our souls, we can honor that inner guidance and act accordingly, which hopefully some of my tips kind of help you in that direction. If you want to hear more about this, you can listen to our episode on aligning with the seasons. It's, again, everything is always linked in the show notes, so that's linked uh, in the description. Otherwise, let's get into today's topic, love. Embodying love. Love. Even simply saying the word paints a picture in our minds. Maybe it's someone you love, family, romantic. Maybe it brings to mind all the reasons you can't love someone and someone you struggle to love. Whatever that image and those thoughts are, just take inventory of them for a moment. Maybe you want to close your eyes if that's a safe thing to do right now. What does love mean to you? What does love look like? Where do you experience love in your life currently? Or you can go ahead and open your eyes if you close them. Now, for most of us, what we just thought about probably were external sources of love. Friends, family, romantic partners. And not that constant internal source of love that is always available to us. This limitless source of love, that internal source, is our innate ability to love unconditionally. So, if we have that within us, 
Why might it be that most of us just pictured and thought about all of the external sources of love when we simply think about what love is and looks like in our lives? To start, self-love is included in our conversation of ideas of love, but it's a separate thing, right? We have a separate name for it. We separate it from love by giving its own name, self-love. Not to mention the fact that self-love has been commodified into products and a consumption-based experience, which obviously then confuses our understanding of what it looks like to love ourselves, to give ourselves love, to be connected to our own love. On top of this, most of us struggle with our love of self, our internal love from within, our self for ourselves. For a lot of us, we have lists going that are full of reasons why we aren't lovable the way we are or will be most lovable when we accomplish a running list of things in the back of our head, whatever it is. This idea of a limitless source of love that exists innately in every single one of us with this ability to love unconditionally seems very out of reach, untouchable, or even non-existent. So let's unpack that. We aren't taught how to love. There's no how to love course 101. And I don't mean just romantic love. There's no one teaching us how to actually love ourselves, how to actually love each other, regardless of whether we like each other or not, and how to actually embody love, to radiate love through this world which again is our natural essence. Yet we are separated from it somehow. Why? Well, we're modeled love. We are not taught how to love. We are modeled love. And the love we are modeled is patchy. It's got some missing aspects. It's, most of all, conditional love. Now, again, we're modeled love, primarily through our parents and family dynamics, which set the foundation for all of our relationships. Psych 101. Now, when we breathe a little compassion into that idea, we understand that our parents were also modeled love by their parents. 
and their parents were modeled love by their parents and so on and so forth all the way back through the ages of our ancestors. All of the patchiness, any messiness that exists in the models of love we learned from, of the models we witnessed, is from that sort of lineage of modeled love. Because there are so many contexts and conditions. Now, I don't mean conditions as in conditional love. I mean conditions as in things going on outside of that specific family unit, like social conditions, religious conditions, general speaking sort of happenings of intermingling that happen, influence how we understand love to be and how we show up. That sort of passed on modeling of love is also linked with intergenerational trauma, the trauma that is passed down through generations until it is healed. All along the spectrums of trauma, little t, big t traumas, without the proper resources, we don't know how to heal those things. We do our best with how we can cope to live with them as a means to our survival. But unfortunately, all of that gets passed down into our children and grandchildren and so on and so forth, which is why healing starts with us and is so important that we have those resources. So we inherit that messiness and unprocessed wounds and trauma. And if you're looking to dive into this a little more, a great book that I recommend is The Body Keeps the Score. I'll link that down below. It talks all about trauma research on how trauma is stored in our bodies. And it's not just a psychological thing. It's also a physiological thing. And that too can be experienced as a child in the womb of their mother. When we say trauma, we're talking about the spectrum of experiences that are distressing, disruptive to our functioning and overwhelming that occur once, repeatedly, or in a multitude slash combination of forms and cause us to go into survival mode in order to cope and protect ourselves. And survival mode being on the polyvagal ladder, either fight, flight, or freeze, or disassociation in order to cope and protect ourselves, which prevent us from living full, functioning, meaningful, connective lives, let alone flourishing in our unlimited potential. Again, looking at polyvagal, it takes us out of our ability for social engagement, for those high brain functionings of creativity, problem solving, all that good stuff, and puts us in that mode of danger and threat to just completely shut down. This is, you know, where this idea of things triggering us into these places, because as 
we mentioned with that book, you know, the body keeps the score. Traumas cause us to separate a mental memory of an experience in the emotional memory. It splits those two things. So then when we have an experience that triggers us, even if we think we've forgotten this or we've written this off as something that's, yeah, that's something that just happened as a child or as an adolescent. It's, it is what it is. But we haven't actually processed and healed that experience and fully understood it. Then those unconscious triggers and emotions and patterns of behavior come back up when something similar occurs or reminds us of it. And it can be anything from the death of a pet to the death of a parent. A parent constantly violating our boundaries or diminishing us to having an absent parent, either physically or emotionally, or a parent with mental health struggles or addiction that impacted us. The many forms of self-harm or being mentally, emotionally, physically, or sexually harmed or abused by another person. Or the daily experience of living within oppressive systems and societies. Most of us have experienced trauma, whether we acknowledge it within ourselves or not. When we understand this, immediately we can have compassion and empathy for each other. This is one of those foundational ideas in Buddhism. Life is suffering, right? We are bonded together by our shared experience of suffering, just as we are bonded together by our shared experience of joy. Together, our shared experience of life. But I digress. There is no comparison game of this trauma is worse than that trauma. Trauma is a subjective experience. The objective piece is the acknowledgement and validation of all of our traumatic experiences. All traumas have an effect. So the best thing we can do is acknowledge them and give them medicine to heal them so their effects don't creep in and get triggered, affect our relationships, as we spoke about with intergenerational trauma, right? That which isn't healed is passed down. Which brings us full circle again back to The Body Keeps the Score. Learning with this book, for example, about the ways trauma shapes our experiences, our capacity to function, our coping mechanisms, our brain wiring, our body and our physiological experiences, tension, pain, and more empowers us in our ability to care for ourselves throughout our lives. And as a preview to what's coming, being able to sit with our own suffering, our own trauma, is essential to being able to sit with the suffering of another, which is indispensable in love. In short, we are all humans, we are all messy, we all have suffering, we all have these sort of barriers that we experience throughout our lives to love breaking that down into our self-love for most of us as children we were raised on a system of 
reward and punishment. We were praised and loved for doing what was quote-unquote right and punished and even withdrawn love for doing what is quote-unquote wrong. When we take a minute to objectively consider the system, we can see that when we do something quote-unquote wrong or quote-unquote bad, that is when we need compassion and patience and understanding to help us navigate that situation and be able to decide better to meet our needs and honor the needs of others in this process, not punishment. So whether it's a parent taking that compassionate, patient, understanding approach, or our own ability to take that compassionate, patient, and understanding approach with ourselves, it's the same thing. That is how we truly establish a non-violent, just, and harmonious world, one person at a time. We can take this a step further and see how that system of reward and punishment shapes our, you know, quote-unquote justice system and prison system into what they are today, which is that system of punishment, rather than creating a system that heals reconciles and rehabilitates. So our ability to love is directly shaped by this reward system and the ideas of right and wrong, good and bad. So when we go back again to those lists of all the reasons that we might not be lovable, I wonder what it would look like to write that, even write that list out physically in our notebook And then look at how that relates to this system of reward and punishment from our childhoods and also how this relates to our own ideas of good and bad, our our culture's ideas of good and bad, and how is that shaping us? Because then we begin to understand that this struggle to connect with our limitless source of love, that is our innate ability to love unconditionally, is really shaped by the external conditionings around love and not any sort of internal unlovability or lack of love. And it's not to blame anyone. Like we said, when we breathe compassion into this, we can understand that This is simply the process of evolving as a species, really, if we look at it like that. It's simply the process of evolving as individuals and evolving in our relationships and evolving as a species. This is where we are. This is where I am in my life, in my family system. This is where you are in your life, in your family system. This is where we are together as a human family. It's essential to acknowledge and consider that modeling and how it shapes us. The messiness, the limits, the conditions of our love that keep us from experiencing and expressing unconditional love in all of its forms for self for others and all beings everywhere. And additionally, it's important to mention that 
if we are closed off or skeptical of love in this capacity, this unconditional capacity, it's likely something to consider as a reflection of our closed-heartedness, whether it's a general closed-heartedness or closed-heartedness that shows itself in specific experiences and expressions. Meaning the ways in which our heart has closed in order to protect ourselves, like we talked about, for our survival, which no longer serves us if we wish to experience more love in our lives. Again, we aren't born closed-hearted. We close our hearts as we move through the world that is closed-hearted in order to protect ourselves. And it's not until we acknowledge where we have closed ourselves off and how we have been influenced and shaped by the modelings of love and the conditions of love that show up in our expression and limit on our own love, that we can then begin to feel the spaciousness that comes from our limitless source of love that is our innate ability to love unconditionally. So where do we start, right? Our love for ourselves is our foundation for all love. I'm sure I've said this before on one episode or another, but we can only meet another as deeply as we have met ourselves. We can only know another as deeply as we know ourselves. We can only be compassionate towards another as deeply as we are compassionate towards ourselves. If we want to embody love and radiate love wherever we go, it starts within. Even if we simply just want to experience some more love in our lives, it starts within. It doesn't mean I need more friends. It doesn't mean I need to be in a relationship. It doesn't mean I need to find external sources of love and chase those external sources of love. It means I have to go within. I have to find out and connect to my internal limitless source of love and ability to love unconditionally, which means my ability to love unconditionally myself and others because I can love another as unconditionally as I love myself. So we briefly considered our own images and definitions of love earlier. Now let's establish some understanding across the board of what we're talking about when we say love. We're not talking about romantic love. We're not talking about platonic love. We are talking about simply love that is compassionate, understanding, gentleness. We're talking about deep appreciation, enjoyment. Buddhism talks about four key aspects that make up true love. 
and in deep appreciation for this teaching that really helped me reopen my heart many years ago when I learned this. I want to share that with you today. And when I say true love, I don't mean true love as in your one true love soulmate. I mean true love as in love that is real and genuine and unconditional. So these four key aspects are Matri, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeksha, which translate as loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Where I first learned these four key aspects of true love is from True Love, A Practice for Awakening the Heart by Thich Nhat Hanh. And they're also mentioned in a book I read recently, How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People, Spiritual Advice for Modern Relationships. I definitely recommend both of them, whether you're dating, not dating, struggle in healthy relationships, in a healthy relationship, married, partnered, divorced, whatever. Loving is not dependent on or, again, really related to those external relationships. Again, we loving begins within. So if you're a person and you're alive and you love, want to love, or struggle with loving, these books are for you. I'm going to read the chapters of the titles in both books so you can get a sense of the wisdom here and kind of what's at play in love that we're talking about uh, today here that teach us how to love at our best capacity, which is, you know, inherently limitless and freeing. So let's begin. True love. Already, you know, that, that secondary title of practice for awakening the heart really, you know, hits the nail on the head. Like I said, reading this book and specifically learning about for the first time these four aspects of true love really reawakened my heart to what was innate and true for me as a young child that through the process of integrating into society, which is really what each of us does as a child, kind of gets squashed. Again, like we said, is for a lot of us, we live in a closed hearted society. So to integrate into that means to in one way, shape or form become closed hearted. So those chapters are as follows. The four aspects of love, which we're going to talk about, which are, you know, again, love and kindness, compassion, joy and equanimity. Love is being there recognizing the presence of the other, being there when someone is suffering, overcoming pride, deep listening, learning to speak with love again, restoring peace within yourself, the energy of mindfulness, caring for our pain, the principle of non-duality, reconciliation, coming to life again, telephone meditation, everybody should practice mindfulness, and getting rid of our concepts. Again, just listening to that, we can listen to it as the list of 
wise advice for aspects and elements of true love, what is necessary. We can look at each of these chapters as steps to embodying love, especially highlighting that in order to recognize the presence of another, to sit with suffering, to speak with love, to restore peace, to be mindful, to reconcile, it all starts with us individually within. We have to practice these things. We have to practice recognizing our own presence, sitting with our own suffering, speaking with love to ourselves internally with our thoughts, restoring peace within ourselves, being mindful, reconciling with ourselves. Or else we can't extend that truly to another person, truly and fully to another person. Next, the chapters of how to love yourself, how to love yourself, how to love being single, how to love dating, how to fall in love without losing yourself, how to commit to love, how to love your friends, how to love sacred sex, how to love with a broken heart, and how to stay in love at all times. Again, loving ourselves and practicing loving ourselves with an awakened heart is the foundation. How to love yourself is a little more about romantic relationships, but it's all based around what we're talking about here, which is your, we, you know, loving ourselves is the foundation. That foundation is what allows us to love in every dimension and season of our lives in every way, shape, and form, whether it's romantic or unromantic. It gives us the stability, peace, and confidence from which we move through the world, being able to fall in love without losing ourselves, being able to fall in love, as one of the authors said that I really related to, fall in love multiple times a day. What does that mean and look like to you to fall in love multiple times a day? That might sound absolutely ridiculous to some people, but we can fall in love with a tree, with a flower. We can fall in love with a person we meet in a sense of admiration and awe and appreciation and reverence and gratitude for their existence. Love doesn't just mean possessing and having someone, you know? Uh, it never means possessing, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Being able to commit to love, being able to practice sacred sex is all, again, not things that we're taught, but are essential for healthy, fulfilling love and for our own well-being. And it all starts with us. And I want to take a moment to highlight this idea of sacred sex, which is to understand sex as a fully embodied expression and exchange of energy that has the capacity to bring us closer to our true nature, divinity, sacredness, which we'll define in a bit and go into deeper. It is knowing sex in the fullness of its beauty, transcending the cultural ideas of dirtiness and purity or as strictly physical or, you know, abstinence, which again, it's not like we all sat in sex ed and had, if we even had sex ed, and were taught about this context of sacredness. 
So wherever we are in our lives, there's room for growing and expanding our understanding. And it it starts with learning. It starts with curiosity. At Reself, we say that a curious, open mind is essential to cultivate discovery and evolution. If we want to evolve, we have to be curious. We have to be open-minded. And we have to go out and discover, which then allows us to learn, which then allows us to apply what we have learned and discovered that allows us to evolve, that in this case allows us to embody unconditional love that is our true nature. So this is yet another example of how our reself process of discover, learn, apply, evolve, repeat works out in the wild of our everyday lives, which is why it is what it is. And what is one of the many reasons that makes reself so special is because it's mirroring our natural humanity and our natural human process of growth and discovery and evolution on our life's journey this context this conversation that we're having is just one of the many aspects this time being love and embodying love and knowing what true love is so we can apply that and act from this new knowing When we take this conscious time and dedicate it to engaging with these containers, whether it's a conversation on As It Goes or any other reself offering, for this process of discovering, learning, applying, evolving, and then doing the whole process again, that's what really fuels our ability to live more consciously our ability to nourish our well-being holistically and our ability to show up fully and authentically in our lives. Which then translates into everything we do and trickles out into everyone we meet. And coincidentally, that's how you empower a better world, one person at a time. So whether we're talking about love or world peace, right? It's all this same process. If you're curious, check out our other offerings, engage a little deeper, and watch how beneficial of an impact it has on your everyday experience. The link is always in the show notes. Join a workshop. Our mindset workshop is a great place to start. It's available now. Otherwise, sign up for our email updates so you can get notified when the foundational workshops in the Soul, Body, and Wholeness series come out. Or if you're not ready for a full workshop, try Recalibrate, which is a mini workshop, essentially one hyper workshop lesson. We just released the cleansing issue. And if you're not ready for that, try the cleansing meditation. It's also a great place to start to release 
some things that are no longer serving you so you can embody more love, embody unconditional love. Those links are all in the show notes. That's where we're going to leave off for part one. Next week, we'll dive into those four aspects of love, love and kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, define them, and discuss how to practice them beginning with ourselves. There's a lot of food for thought here. I invite you to join me this week in witnessing our habits and patterns when it comes to love in relationship with others and with ourselves, noticing where we are reactive, when we're triggered, when our love is conditional, maybe even sitting down and thinking about some of the things that we discussed and writing a little, letting, you know, whatever needs to come out on the subject come out. Just witness this week with compassion. And if you find that you're struggling with being compassionate about this, make note of your judgments of self and others. Again, maybe you want to write those down. Write down what you're noticing and what comes up. Writing it out physically gets it out of our bodies and our mind, so it gives you that release. And this can be heavy stuff. We talked about some heavy stuff today. So give yourself that release. Write it down. Get it out. It also allows us to see things a little more objectively, too. Notice patterns, which is all essential in this process. First, we have to be willing to be curious about ourselves and what no longer serves us and what is in the way of where we want to go and how we want to show up. And you're doing that. You're doing that with these conversations. You're doing that by reflecting. And you're doing that by taking action on those reflections. Which, again, next week's episode, part two, will really help us do. Thanks for hanging out with me. And for sharing this energy and conversation. And thank you for giving yourself this nourishment. As with everything, we have to go into the darkness a little bit to find the light so we can transform that darkness and bring it into the light. This episode was that step into the darkness, right? Saying, okay, I'm open to understanding this darkness a little more around my ideas of love that are within me. So acknowledge your bravery for looking at these things in your own being. Without the darkness, we can't have light. Without the mud, there can be no lotus flower. It's all useful. It's all nourishment. We're recycling right now. This is a process of recycling, reclaiming, releasing. So with next week's episode, as we focus on that transformation, that alchemizing what we noticed this week in the direction of genuine, unconditional, embodied love from that limitless, innate, internal source, we'll be ready. If you haven't already, rate the podcast so more people can access these conversations. Spotify now allows you to rate podcasts, so if you just click the three little dots near the top 
title if you're on your phone. If you're on iTunes or somewhere else, leave a review as well so people know that they should stop here and listen and join in the conversation. Share this conversation with a friend if you got something out of it, because that's what genuine love does. It helps us to embody our true nature, to nourish us, which we'll get into in next week's conversation. Until then, my friends, have an enlightening week. Be compassionate and patient with yourself and try to ground in that witnessing mode. Bye, everybody.